Yay! Preston and Amit, I have missed you guys so much. Um, I have even christened you with superhero nicknames because you have taken on the roles of um, WhatsApping me live match commentary through my hiatus and taken on podcasting. So, Preston, you know your superhero name. Amit, do you know Preston's new superhero name? I might have missed it. It's really exciting. Are you ready for it? Yes. It's Presto. Presto okay. the podcaster. I know. There's a gift sim- that goes sim- with it. Simple, but I but like great. it. great. <laughs> right? A great yes. one. By the end of this podcast, you too will have your own superhero name. Get ready for it. Can't wait. I, I know. know it's going to be amazing. Unlike the first half of the match we all just watched. Look at that seamless transition. I'm so hyped from this uh, U.S. Martinique match. Presto, how are you feeling? Uh, you know, I was worried I was going to fall asleep during the first half, but you know that it, it raised my blood pressure to an unhealthy level by the time uh, we reached probably around the 80th minute. Yeah, I'm going to actually make you guys suffer a little bit and hold off on that one because there is both not a lot and a lot to talk about, strangely, in that match. Um, can we start with, in my usual roundabout manner, um, some other sort of catchy uppy things. Did anybody watch Canada, Costa Rica? I saw a little bit of that game and, you know, the big takeaway and really, you know, if you had to take away one thing from the Gold Cup so far, it would be the play of Alfonso Davies. Uh, 16 years old. Everyone's talking about him. He's just so insane. It's it's really impressive. And I know going into the Gold Cup last week when Preston was on here and we had Nathan Carr from Caribbean Football we were talking that Canada, you know, might might be the team that wouldn't even advance in that group, could finish fourth. And they've really turned everyone's head so far. Really good performance. And without Kyle Lahren, too. So they've, they've been the surprise of the tournament for me. I think, tell me what you guys think. This was a surprise for me on both ends. I was pleasantly surprised by Canada. I mean, Alfonso Davis, what an unbelievable story. 16 you know, you should, you should still be suffering through high school and, and torturing your parents. And this kid is scoring really stunning goals and picking up passes in midfield and born in a refugee camp in Ghana and making it all the way to the national team is, is an incredible testament to, to him and to his family. Like you said, without Kyle Aaron, this is a team that I don't know if anybody was expecting to take this kind of cohesive shape. But on the other hand, Costa Rica in the last couple of years has really been dominating the groups that they've been in. And I did not see that team that I'd been expecting to really play handily against Canada. So give me sort of a both sides take. Either one of you. Don't you guys remember how I do this? I throw it out there and you fight over who gets to talk first and then I get excited. Uh, I mean, I'll there you go. go. Good job. I, I mean, part of it is that, you know, everyone was kind of sleeping on Canada. No one thought this was going to happen, but you can't, you know, jump to too many conclusions. You know, their first game was against French Guyana and that was, you know, we've seen French Guyana. They're, they're okay. They're really fun. We'll talk about them later, but nothing too special. Then Costa Rica, you know, that's a good win. It's a good win, but you know, it's not Mexico, US and it did seem like Alfonso Davies was just having his way down that left-hand side, and they weren't really, you know, marking him that well. He was the best player, but I don't know. I think they need to win a knockout stage match, and then, honestly, no matter what happens after that, I will be happy to say that this was a success, overwhelming, Canada's back, all that good stuff. Watch out for 2022, but, you know, they won two games in a Gold Cup group stage, 
we can tamper a little. Although, I mean, like, there's no way to tamper anything about Alon- Alfonso Davies. That's incredible. Actually, they drew against Costa Rica. No, you're fine. <laughs> you're good. But I mean, I was gonna, I was gonna echo that. I mean, I think it's definitely too soon to uh, call Canada a success because if their heartbeat of their team is surrounded by a 16 year old who ended up getting injured during that game. Uh, there's no telling when he's going to be coming back. We don't know if it's just a knock or if it's something a little bit more serious. But if he's not going to be there for that last match, they may be in a little bit more of a risk not to advance. Or if they, they may get that third place spot, just really depending on how all the other results go. Because Costa Rica is still a very strong team, and I, I still feel like that they're going to be the ones getting that first place spot. So, Preston, do you think that Amit is right that, that the Ticos were just sort of sleeping or or not taking Canada seriously enough and they're going to come back when they need to? I, yeah, I'd agree with that because, I mean, you look historically over the last 15 plus years, unfortunately, Canada hasn't really been relevant in CONCACAF. Costa Rica has only gotten fairly relevant in the last 10 years. Canada, I mean, their only Gold Cup win comes in 2000. You're going to get a really mean tweet from Dwayne De Rosario about that. I'm okay with that. And I know I'll get a mean tweet from Steve Gennaro also. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I feel like that there's still a bit of groundwork that needs to be to be done to co- to to catch up with the rest of the continent in order to really challenge with your Panamas or Jamaicas to be that be, to be that dark horse in this tournament. One more thing to add is that you know maybe looking beyond 2022, if the World Cup does expand to 48 teams as we are as we think it it should. And you, you figure CONCACAF should get six teams. You know, that's really the timing that Canada should be looking for. By the time that happens, they should be or planning to be in the top six in CONCACAF every year, making the World Cup every year. And they're not there right now, but that's a realistic goal for this program. I think they should be saying, you know, 2022, maybe 2026, we got to start making them consistently. You know, they they really haven't been one. I think 1986 was the last time they were in the World Cup. I'm not sure if that's correct. I'll, I'll look that up in a second. But they, that's got to be the goal for them going forward. Let's talk about Panama. Um, this Panama-Nicaragua match that we saw preceding the U.S. was also sort of like a, like a trade-off, a pretty even match for the most part. Did you guys expect that? Well, I mean, I'll say this. Uh, Got to give some credit to Nicaragua for getting their first ever gold in, in, in the Gold Cup. Uh, Nicaragua is a, is a team that has really struggled, obviously, in this tournament. And they scored quite a screamer to, ever, to get their first ever goal. I never really saw much of Nicaragua really making much of a fight to get out, to get out of the group stage. I feel like that Panama might have been a little bit complacent. Because Panama knows that they're going to be one of, one of the teams that's very likely to get out of the group stage and get into get and get into the quarterfinals in Nicaragua isn't that much a competition for them. You know, so it's very interesting because you know what we see in the Gold Cup are teams that traditionally have not done well or even qualified for the World Cup having their chance like Panama or or even Canada some of these teams, you know, that don't qualify, but does that then because it's just a CONCACAF competition make them cocky. And Nicaragua, you know, they had that goal disallowed that was offsides, but they kept fighting towards the end. And and they did have a couple chances where they looked like they could have equalized. Panama was not really playing or looking like a team that was so far above in the rankings or even in the, the CONCACAF rankings. 
So I, we're, we're not seeing such a disparity in, in talent, for lack of a better word, but even in, in drive right now. Is that because we're, we're not, we're at, we're at this level, we're at this, um, the word is not coming to me in English. You guys help me out. We're at, we're still at the stage. Stage is the word I was looking for. And as we keep playing, the, the pressure is going to be up. I think there's, there's, there's two sides. One is definitely, it's the stage. It's the gold cup. Like you said, it's just a CONCACAF competition. Panama's in the thick of World Cup qualifying, which for them to qualify would be a huge deal, which is definitely on their minds. And it's also the group stage against a team that they saw lose to Martinique. So, I, you know, I can see the mentality of that team being, okay, this is, you know, just a, a Gold Cup group stage game against a bad team. We can handle this one easily. And then also, you know, you look at the makeup of Panama's side and the way they play. It's not really a side designed to outclass opponents. They they can, you know, possess the ball, outpossess their opponents. They did that against the U.S. even, a team that you might say is better than them on paper. But when they're playing a team that's lower than them, I don't want to say they play down to their level because I don't think that's necessarily true. But they don't have a game plan that's suited to really, you know, taking a game by the, by the throat and stepping on an inferior opponent's neck. That's just not how they're built. That was a very visual uh, reference there. As a vegetarian, I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> can we can we talk about French Guiana right now? Can we do it? That was incredible. I've never seen anything <laughs> like that. Who was surprised? Give me give me three adjectives to describe your response to French Guiana, Emmett. Bewildered, entertained, and maybe disappointed in that I like their team and hope they could, you know, maybe advance out of this group. It so would have the, made the, for a really great musical, I have yeah, to say. It would have also been funnier had they won. If they had won that match and take a, take, took the 3-0 loss, it actually, that would have been the best. That, that, that would have been incredible. From like a late free kick from Florent Maluda. That, that was the dream scenario. Maluda, of all people. I think this is why also these competitions are so much fun. You know, whether or not you take them seriously, they really are enjoyable. Preston, did you see this French Guiana match? I did not. I was uh, traveling back to Dallas and uh, I missed that match. But... Uh, I was definitely filled in with all this uh, drama uh, surrounding Maluda and why French Guiana even decided to play, why they even decided to play him, even though that they knew that it was against, uh, the, FIFA, against the FIFA rules. It's such a gray area considering that, that, that French Guiana is not a FIFA-recognized organization, but they still play in a CONCACAF tournament, which is so it's very strange because... You'd think that I, I guess I'm I guess I'm just a little thrown off on how a non-FIFA recognized country could be represented in a confederation tournament. So I guess I mean I guess I could see where French Guiana thought that they could get with playing for uh, Maluda, but I mean just with all the news and all the buzz surrounding it and the like the just the concern of of this possible forfeit if he was played why they would even consider playing him. Yeah, I like to think, I mean, I don't know if this is correct. I like to think that they knew that it was a forfeit and they did it anyway because they were like, ah, who cares? We we lost our first match and that really was our best chance against a Canada side they thought was beatable. They came close. They were down 3-2. Why not just play Form Luda? It's good for, I don't know, spin whatever you want, like, for the players to play with him, for the exposure. I don't know. I, I like the idea that they knew that it was going to be a loss, and they said, I don't care. Let's put Fort Malone on the field and try to get a result. 
because moral a moral victory at that point means more for the team when you know that you're not in FIFA. The Gold Cup is your the biggest competition you're going to play in as a as a country and not as a country as a territory. But why not? You know, try to get a positive result. Thirty two nil has a has a really wonderful. I think it's the first chapter um, of the book that starts in Martinique um, and interviews a lot of these players who had never grown up in Martinique. Some of them had never even been there before they were recruited to play for it. And they spoke about what it was like to, you know, finally play for a national team and get this chance and and play for somewhere that they knew they were never going to really get anywhere. But that feeling of coming together as a team. And I think that without speaking for people who I, you know, don't know, might be what it is that you just finally get that opportunity to play with someone like Maluda and play for your parents or your grandparents' country and you just <laughs> want to put it all out there. And in a way, good for them. It was their opportunity to do it. Sort of transitioning into another area of, of federation politics. You guys had spoken about Mexico, El Salvador, about the, about the match itself on the last podcast. I wanted to ask both of you about the chant that we heard at the match. Um, so you guys were watching on, I was watching on my little stream. Were you guys watching on TV? I was watching on, um, I believe it was Unimas. It could have been Telemundo. I'm not sure. I was watching the Spanish broadcast, the, the in huh, Spanish broadcast. Okay. And I read a, I read a tweet. This might've been a joke or not, but that they would like, they were amplifying the crowd noise. No, that is exactly the, like, what, um, the, the my stream was Fox. Time. Yes. Yeah. And it was the worst time for them to be doing that. And you just heard it so clearly. And that's why I think that's the root of the problem that we're getting at. So we can and we have debated whether or not the chant itself is homophobic. And I think at this point, that is not in question because CONCACAF and FIFA, by saying that they're going to fine the Federation when they hear it, has basically put their stamp on the side of homophobia. They're saying that it's something punishable. So the argument is, is moot at this point. But I think that now it's sort of, it's, it's a, a precedent has been set and it's up to them to come down on one side or the other. So we both, we all heard fans screaming at least when the El Salvadorian goalie kicked. I, you know, again. And they've been doing. They've been doing that for a long time. Like, that's right. their thing. They've like, been during a, goal, during a goal kick, that's what they yell. Right. And they've been fined it. I think, I mean, I read it last count. It was upwards of $100,000. It hasn't done anything, obviously. So the question is, if CONCACAF does not do anything now, then aren't they saying that this can just keep going without punishment, without issue? What, what has to happen? I know this is a slightly different vein, but you look at some of the stuff in, uh, you know, a games where they have the flares, where it gets really intense with launching of flares onto the pitch. Some, you see this sometimes in Eastern Europe. And I think the way to stop it is like, you know, FIFA's tried using the, the cameras on the crowd. That's what they said they're going to do and throw out anyone who's saying the chant. But are you going to throw out anyone that's just saying it. That's tough, right? At least with something like a flare, you can stop it from entering the game. You can hype up your security. You can do all you want like at the match, and people can still say it because it's just spoken word. I think what has to happen is at some point, you have to stop one of these matches or you have to like hurt the results. I, I know that's so weird to say, 
And does the Mexico team deserve any of this? The team doesn't, but it's a confederation problem and becomes that they're an extension of the team. And at some point, like, what gets a response, right? You can do this. I, I don't think this camera thing is working. I don't think a security guard, you know, unless you really commit to it and throw out, like, three sections of a stadium, you know, then you there has to be some kind of sanction, like, you know, Mexico is deducted points from a group. You know, Mexico is not allowed at the next goal cap. I don't know. The, that's Those are two very, very radical things. Obviously, there are much more intermediate steps, but something that is actually hurting the Confederation has to happen so that the Confederation puts it in their own hands to stop it. You see, I'm on the same page as you. Uh, however, the approach that I would take it is I would, because it's the fans that are that are causing this, instead of hurting the team, I do. I would agree that if it's a continual thing after after these sanctions to do a points deduction. But you know, I say that before that happens, you play you play a couple of like World Cup qualifiers or a Gold Cup match behind closed doors. Yeah, not that's any fans in. That's another one that makes a lot of sense to me, and that you know that seems like a very reasonable option. They could just do that right away, and that's happened before. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean I think that would probably be the biggest thing to make an impact on the fans because uh, i mean at the end of the day it's these fans that are ignoring that are ignoring the warnings they're the ones that are cause that are causing these issues and i mean as you're saying it's it's impossible to kick out three sections or three or four sections or or out however many hundreds or thousands of fans there are because then that's going to cause so many security and logistical issues that it's going to be a pr nightmare for the mexican federation I think what CONCACAF said was that they were empowering the ref to kick people out, but that also really puts the players at at some sort of risk if the ref's attention is not on the field. And I think you guys are right that at this point, there there needs to be another step. If, If fines are not doing it, which clearly they aren't, then a bigger punishment needs to happen. And I think that something like a close your game is such an appropriate visual of of not allowing any of these fans in and when you are aware of these matches happening they're so it's such a stark reminder to the fans um and also to the team that something really went wrong that there's a problem for sure i mean imagine a u.s versus mexico game behind closed doors at the azteca that 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 makes the big kind of statement that you need i agree and and i really at this point because like you guys have said this has been a long time coming you know we've seen videos from the players we've seen discussions back and forth from both the mexican federation that they then took back from Concacaf, from fifa itself something concrete and something final needs to happen before this really just peters out and fans realize as i think they've been realizing that they can keep getting away with this and this is this is something that is at this point both harmful and embarrassing which we will also see tomorrow when Mexico plays Jamaica. Um, I'm gonna be sad because I mean, not that it's 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 always wrong, but now it's it's Andre Blake. He's one of my favorite players. This Mexican team is phenomenal. I mean, they are exciting to watch. I think Dos Santos has really come into his own. Which I I also who would have guessed three years ago that Chicharito would come back in such like splendor <laughs> of all people. To see him get this sort of resurgence is really great. I love that for him. I love that for the team. I think, you know, he had this sort of flash in the pan brilliance and then petered out. And it was it was sad, but it was expected. You know, we've seen that before with a lot of young players who 
get big really quickly, get sold to big teams, and then don't come to much. And it is, it's really lovely to watch him come home and play so well. But I think there are so many Mexican players who really have the potential to lead this team somewhere. And it's getting overshadowed by this greater conversation. Yeah, there's, and there's, you know, there's a few other problems going on. Coach Osorio is just fanatic on the the touchlines. He's suspended for this whole Gold Cup. And just the whole media mentality towards that team, it's very, very high pressure. They're in a lot of pressure, even just to win this Gold Cup with a B team. And I mean, the U.S. obviously has a B team too, and there's pressure there because they're hosting it. They're one of the two best teams, but it's a really tumultuous time right now for the Mexican Federation. And they, you know, I think the uh, Confederations Cup helped them a little. It was a good event for them. You know, they, they made it out of their group. But, you know, with the World Cup in a year, you've got to get things together. You can't be heading in to the biggest event in world football in disarray. And, you know, the players, they seem to be fine. But it's still, you just want to be on a united front. I also, I think this, you know, the Osorio out faction is is very loud and very united. And the Osorio in faction are just sort of this traditional group of diehards who don't want change, not necessarily people who like him, um, just that they can't see anyone better. And that's not an easy place to be in, to not have, you know, really great support. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what what happens at the end of this tournament, how they do. You know, they, they should win their group, but at some point, or if things go to plan, we should see another USA-Mexico final. But I am just really at looking least forward the- to Ochoa's hair. That's always my favorite part, <laughs> personally. It is pretty much I know. I want to know what product he uses. There's just a lot of thoughts and questions and feelings that I have whenever I see him, especially when there's breeze. You know, know, I I just, you know, I feel a lot. You know, my hair gets that way under high humidity. So, I mean, I, I, I could learn a few things from him. From one curly person to another, I just, I would like to just sit in a, in a humid park with Gigi Ochoa and, and just talk. But that's, that's another podcast. Um, <laughs> just, just putting that out there. Guys, are we up to, are we ready for what we all just experienced, uh, 40 minutes ago? <laughs> Still recovering, but let's talk about it. <laughs> okay. I don't even know where to start. I, I, I want to start with Brad Guzan. I really do. So let's do that. Do you guys know that we still have Brad Guzan in goal? Were you aware of that? Unfortunately. Because I know most of us slept through that first half. But so did Brad Guzan. The U.S. has this problem that outside of Tim Howard and Brad Guzan, the rest of their goalkeeping pool did not catch up. And right now, it's like the third or fourth cycle for those guys. And there are some players who have who have kind of stepped up. Horvath, Yarbrough, Jesse Gonzalez. Yeah, who, who, just, who just switched in. But until they're ready, the no. two choices are Howard and Guzan. Uh-uh. And Listen. when Howard's out, it's Guzan. And honestly, they should just not play him. They right. should not. There's no if, reason. If the rule somewhere on page 705, paragraph 3, article 2, says that we need a bald goalkeeper, Robles is doing um. <laughs> great work over in Harrison, New Jersey. Give him a call. I mean, think about it. I mean, we've had Tim Howard, Brad Guzan, Casey Keller, Brad Friedel. That's been your last four goalkeepers. Bald goalkeepers. You and go and get Robles from the New York Red Bulls. He will do you great. If you do not need a bald goalkeeper, we could each name probably three between us that would do a better job 
than Brad Guzan. And I will tell you that I would rather listen to Brad Guzan in the commentary than the people who were doing the commentary for Fox Soccer, whose name I will not mention, but they have all played for the U.S. men's national team in the past. The other thing is Brad Guzan just, you know, the optics aren't great. He was relegated twice in a row from the Premier League. He was on the worst team, Aston Villa, got signed to Middlesbrough, and they were relegated as well. And in and one game against the starter. Yeah, he wasn't. They they benched him. It's so bad. I don't even know if he comes to Atlanta United FC if he'll keep that starting job there. With what they're paying him, you better believe he's going to be the starter, at least for about five or six games. And Alec Khan might end up winning it back because, you know, I'd rather have like a bucket of rocks <laughs> in between the <laughs> The thing that's frustrating is, you know, there's no denying he has experience. And I remember when we went to the Azteca, we, the U.S. did, and they got that huge draw. Before the match, everyone saw Guzan and goal over Howard. We're like, what? What is what? It was like a day's dream. But they go back. They love that he was the goalie in that 0-0 clean sheet at the Azteca a few years ago. And all oh, it's the experience and all that. And Sure, he's a fine commander of his area and communicator, but the switches, when the head switches off, that is what you cannot do as a goalie. You just can't. That's the whole job. And even, the, goal, the goal tonight was embarrassing. I don't even know if you could say that he's a good communicator because the back line was just lined Nowhere. up. Nowhere. That first goal yeah. by Martinique and the first attempt on goal when the shot ricocheted off the, the post – that oh, defense was, was nowhere to be seen. There were four guys in the box, and there were two or three for Martinique, and they played like a simple pass, and the guy made that run on the outside, Parsimane, who hit the post, and no one was marking him. It say was- what you will for Tim Howard, and I could say a lot. You know, it came up through the Metro Stars. I've watched him, you know, through his career, but he is always shouting and gesturing to his back line. I don't see that from Brad Guzan. Yeah, I don't it's, it's frustrating, and he's going to be in the squad <laughs> next year. There's there's no ifs, ands, or buts unless he's injured. Please, please do not play. <laughs> I, you know what? Thought, thinking about it, we also – and this is not a critique. This is, this is more of a question of style. We did not see a lot of communicating from the sidelines from Bruce Arena. What do you guys think about that? Personally, I don't know. He, he's not a guy that's up and animated. He kind of paces around and has this permanent, like, half-grin, half-frown on his face. And I think the team really likes his managing style. So many of the players have said when Klinsman left, uh, Arena's just a better motivator. You want to play well for him. He brings out the best. And he's also just the way he manages. He's a pragmatist that he definitely tells his team a lot before the game and at breaks, uh, at halftime, you know, about... Very much, he wants his team to play conservatively. Like, they want to win, yes, but well, he's a Well, obviously, at halftime, and... he said, please go out and score some goals, because you didn't do yeah, that in the I, first half. I think that was good, but I don't know if, it, if it's a problem. Uh, he's, he's usually made the right subs in-game, but, you know, you look at some of the, you know, like Azorio, for instance, he's so animated, and I don't know. If you're looking over and you see your manager not yelling, does that make you less motivated i'm not sure i the players would have to answer that well i think i mean at times it almost seems like that it's more that like yeah being animated is great and all but uh if you're telling your player like if you're giving your players the instructions the all the animation isn't very necessary it just makes you a little bit more marketable towards the fans yeah true and i think the exactly building on what you're saying is that he trusts his players and they 
feel that, okay, he told me what I need to do, and then he's going to let me do it, right? That that feels good if you're a player. And going back to what you were talking about, uh, Arena making the subs at the right time, Dax McCarty came on at the perfect time. They got that They got that third goal. Dax McCarty was brought in to help solidify the midfield and bring in actually bring in some leadership, some leadership that was definitely needed because uh, the only, like, Prior to that, the only thing that was somewhat resembling a leader on the field was Kellen Acosta, and he was subbed off 20 minutes before that. I uh, just felt like that there was just 11 players uh, with, with their just running around with their heads cut off, not knowing what to do. But yeah, and, as soon as I mean, as soon so, as McCarthy came on, there was so much more composure uh, just amongst the U.S. players that they were able to shut down the game the way they should have. There is a little bit more confidence in Giassi Zardes, which I'm sure that we'll touch on him a little bit more later. But he was being a true professional with uh, running down the clock and uh, and just nailing down this game. Yeah, and I think the other subs, uh, two of my my union uh, players, uh, Bedoya and Pontius, it was actually weird that when they came on, Marnique struck back twice. But I, I think that, you know, honestly, Pontius, I didn't see him too much, you know, making plays in the game but Bedoya at least when he got in the game helped them kind of link between the midfield and the and the forwards and he made some late runs he he probably should have scored maybe twice I thought he had that one really nice outside shot and he had the other that he kind of collided with the keeper at the same time and went over the bar but the subs were were good from from arena and he knows that his team needed a wake-up call and like you said Jesse definitely at halftime they came out so much better because I'm not sure if there was a more flat half we've seen from this team in recent memory. The opposite side of the coin is Martinique played without fear, without intimidation, and they played really well. And I think that in the second half, that pushed the States a little bit. You know, they couldn't sit back. I think in the first half, we saw some really great play from Lehigh that was exciting. Um, we were talking a little bit during the game that I would really like to see more from Agudelo. Um, I loved him when he was with the Red Bulls, and I feel like he hasn't really found that same sort of chemistry and ability up front since then. So I'm excited to see where that will go, to let him I find think, that. I think one thing that's bright with the way Lehigh was playing, and he also, I believe, uh, had that assist on the Morris goal. It was just good to see him getting forward and defending, and I think right now... I mean, it's just one performance, but you like him more than Graham Zussi at right back. And the U.S. does have two right backs ahead of him, Timmy Chandler and DeAndre Yedlin. But you look across the field. I love Timmy Chandler. God, I miss my Red Bulls who left me. Yeah, and I would say you you look across the field at left back, and it's not really doing so well there. You know, Villafania is not great. Is Johnson a left back? You know, maybe Lehigh could play out there. I don't know. It was a good performance from today. You know, this question of, of people playing out of position <laughs> is, is one that I want to ask you guys about. In the previous incarnation of this U.S. Men's, US men's National Team, oh, that's hard to say. Say that five times fast, people. U.S. Men's National Team um, under Klinsman. There was a lot of questions about whether people were playing in their natural positions and how much that, you know, helped or hindered them. And here we see, you know... I've seen a, a bunch of um, people on Twitter questioning whether, you know, when Sasha Question came comes on, he's being used to his, I guess, full extent because he's playing at a position. Um, do we have anybody who can fill that? If if we don't have anybody who could fill that left back position naturally, do you think there's somebody that we have on the bench currently who can 
sort of be molded to fit it. And if, if we do, is that fair to put them there in that sort of Klinsman-esque way? I just created a word. I love it. Klinsman-esque. It's my new thing. Uh, I will say that during the youth ranks, Kellen Acosta was used as a right back, but I don't like with the way that Acosta has been playing in central midfield. I don't see him being the first person to be moved into a left back position. Maybe Christian Roldan, just because of how young he is, that he could be molded into uh, more of an attacking fullback. Thinking of your MLS teams, guys, is there anybody that you would like to see on this national team who hasn't been called up yet? Ryan Hall. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're waiting for that question. Uh, Ryan Hollingshead, he's a very versatile player. He's he's played as both left and right fullback, left and right wing. He's played as a striker. He's played as a central midfielder, even as an emergency goalkeeper at one point. Uh, he was the he was the guy that back in January got hit by the car, broke a few vertebrae uh, in his neck. He's back uh, playing uh, playing full ninety minutes uh, while. Uh, Hedges and Acosta and Minor Figueroa have been away on international duty. They've been having to do a lot of shifting and rotation. And Hollingshead has been playing as left back the, the last few weeks and has been doing a really good job at it. He has the winger's mind, but really good natural natural ability as a defender. So I think he'd be he would be a good stopgap as a as a left back if it was needed. Uh, in general, the Union have two players that could make a shout for the national team. That's CJ Sapong and Keegan Rosenberry. I don't think either of them really should make this squad, though, because there's a, there's a more strikers ahead of CJ. I would have liked CJ to get a shout for this Gold Cup roster, but since that's already passed, you know, he kind of just has to wait because you have Morris, Agadelo, Bobby Wood, Chris Wondolowski, even Clint Dempsey. You know, there's there's and now you have Dom Dwyer as well. You know, there's too many strikers. And then Rosenberry hasn't even been able to start this year for the Union after a really good rookie year. He, he hasn't been great. He did get called to the January camp, but ended up being one of the first people cut. So I don't see that for the Union. Pontius probably also won't be coming back for World Cup qualification, but maybe, you know, he's, he's a useful player. But Bedoya, obviously, fine, good, good role player on the national team. Where do you guys, I'm going to make you make predictions. I'm back. I get to do that. It's fun. Um, predictions for the next round. Who do we think? Because this, this is pretty tight. I mean, we've got, we've got Mar- Martinique in like actual qualifying position. Who do we think is going to go ahead? Well, I think the funny thing is if you go back and listen to last week's podcast, I think you, Preston, might have been a little more correct. But Nathan and I made a mess of it. I love that you said <laughs> I'm correct and I wasn't even there. That's so nice to know my influence is so well-reaching. <laughs> Nathan and I really, really messed it up. I think we were too high on these uh, Caribbean teams, but the one team we missed was Martinique, and now here they are with three points. Um, I think they can go through as a third-place side, and Panama and U.S. should go through as the two top teams. It'll come down to goal differential how much the U.S. beats Nicaragua versus how much Panama beats Martinique. Um, I want to say the U.S. will win more, but honestly, I'll say Panama will advance first just because I've been rather unimpressed with the U.S. through two matches. Okay, and who are you going to give me for Mexico and Jamaica tomorrow? I'll have a resolute 1-1 draw after some (gasps) fine goalkeeping from Andre Blake. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's a a, a terrible prediction. (laughs) I love Andre Blake too much. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, Preston, g- 
go. What do you got? All right. All right, so I'm going back to Group B. I'm going with, uh, you know, I'm going to say U.S. is going to get that top spot because Nicaragua is just, just awful. Then, like, yeah, they got their first goal, but they've been a bit of a bit of a disappointment. Uh, Panama's going to get second, and Martinique they're going to get third spot, and they're going to be one of the two, uh, one yeah, one of the two that will go into the quarterfinals. Uh, group C, uh, I'm going to say Mexico is going to win two one, and that's just going to be solely down to questionable officiating just like what we saw in 2015 i like it hmm. all right okay and this is obviously the most important question if you had to choose between juana gudello's hair or ochoa's hair whose would you pick ochoa every day of the week nice choice amit i would also agree but that maintenance would not be not be easy that's tough keeping those curls looking good <laughs> takes time <laughs> you guys i'm so glad we're back this is great. Next week, we're going to do another roundup and talk about product maintenance for summer curl hydration. Get pumped. <laughs> it's all the, in the humidity. It's all the humidity. Always. Always, guys. Preston, where can we find you on Twitter if we want to ask you about your hair regime? <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at pdub116. Catch me out on Twitter uh, this Friday. I'll be at uh, the Group A matches uh, with Canada, Costa Rica, Honduras, and French Guyana. They'll be playing at Toyota Stadium. I'm sure I'll be doing a write-up. I think James and I talked about it at some point. But uh, you'll see me tweeting, uh, live-tweeting both those matches. Uh, you can also find this podcast along with uh, my FC Dallas show, FC, FCD Talk on the All In Sports Talk Network. You can follow them at All In Sports Talk. All right, and Amit, if we want to know how you keep your hair looking so great and shiny in this summer weather, where you at? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Amit K. Malik on Twitter. Uh, I tweet about a lot of Philly sports, not just uh, the Union, but lots of Union takes, United States takes. Um, really here for uh, Andre Blake to uh, give <laughs> Mexico a good old Stonewall performance tomorrow night. <laughs> okay, we're going to – listen, tomorrow – I'm going to come to you with this. If this prediction comes true, I'm going to be really impressed. <laughs> okay. I won't be expecting anything. Okay. I expect a lot. Next week, everybody, we're all going to pile on a mint. This is going to be a big deal. We're going to find out how his fortune telling comes to pass. So thank you for joining us and look forward to the next time when we, when we come back with superhero names, hair, and, you know, probably some soccer as well. Let's